Well, probably many of you have uh, watched over the last uh, 24 hours or so and seen what's been happening in uh, the nation of Israel, uh, the attacks that have gone on there. And um, I know many of us who've traveled to Israel over the years, we have developed friendships with uh, many Jewish people and uh, tour guides and so forth who are in that country who are, are being affected. Uh, many missionaries who are being affected, believers in Christ who are being affected. And so I wonder if we could, before opening God's word this morning, if we could just take a moment to bow together uh, in prayer and just pray uh, for the Lord's intervention uh, in, in the midst of that, that chaos and that crisis. Psalm 29 says that the Lord is enthroned over the flood. He sits enthroned forever. And so even in the midst of a crisis, we know that God is king, he's in charge, and we wanna ask for him to intervene. So can we join our hearts together and go before the Lord? God, in the same way that in Genesis 1, you brought order out of chaos and light into darkness and fullness into emptiness. God, we ask that you would intervene in Israel right now. Lord, we pray that you would stay the hand of the evildoers, that you would execute justice, that you would protect the innocent. Lord, we pray for wisdom for leaders who are navigating this crisis. We pray for Benjamin Netanyahu. We pray for our own president, President Biden, those in the State Department, those who might have a role in a diplomatic negotiation. Lord, give them wisdom. I pray that you would use them as your instruments to do something that would be pleasing to you. Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the church of Jesus, Palestinian and Israeli brothers and sisters in Christ who are trying to navigate this. Lord, help them to live on mission in this moment. Holy Spirit, that you would even use this crisis to bring many people who are far from you in that nation to faith in Christ. And Lord, we'll trust you even in this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, I'm going to invite you to open up to the book of Genesis, and we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 uh, together this morning. And, you know, the book of Genesis really does answer so many questions that are important to us. The first and most important question that it answers is, who is God? That's the most important question any person can ever ask or answer. And the Bible begins actually not with mankind. It doesn't begin with the world itself, it begins with God. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we saw a couple of weeks ago that God, who is God? He is the creator, the sustainer and ruler of everyone and everything. That is who God is. It's the most important fact in the universe. So we looked at the God of creation and we see that this God is a God who, who wants to share his love. And so he creates a world and he, he peoples it. And we looked uh, last week, kind of a 30,000 foot view at the creation of God, the six days of creation where God forms what is formless, he fills what is empty. And over the course of six days, he creates all that there is. This week, we're going to zoom in. Uh, we kind of looked at a big picture of Genesis chapter one last week. This week, we're gonna zoom into the last paragraph, Genesis 1, 26 through 31, and look at the apex of God's creative work which is the creation of humanity, the creation of people. 
And we see that at the very end of Genesis chapter one. One of the important questions that the Bible answers is not only who is God and what is God like, but another important question is who, who are we as people, as humans? Uh, what does it mean to be human? Who am I as a person? And that's a very relevant question in our day and time, isn't it? Where, where we have things like identity politics, where we have a gender identity that's a big, big conversation in our world today. Uh, what does it mean to be a person? What does it mean to be human? And if I asked you, who are you or how would you define yourself? I wonder what you would, would, how you would answer. If, if I asked you to fill in the blank, I am blank. How would you describe yourself? You know, I might say, uh, I might define myself by uh, my, my marital status. I am Amy's husband. Or my parental status. I am the father of four children. Or I might define myself by what I do. I am a pastor. That's very common ways of, of sort of thinking about our identity, uh, who we are. We might identify ourselves by uh, what we do. We might identify ourselves by what has been ton, done to us. Sometimes we identify ourselves by our greatest successes. Sometimes we identify ourselves by our worst failures. But how you answer that question really matters. Who am I? Who are we as humans? What does it mean to be a human? We, we teach our children as parents. We teach them, you can be anything what? Anything you want to be, right? We're teaching our kids from the earliest ages that you get to define yourself. You can be whatever you want. Sometimes when you graduate high school or when you enter retirement years, you take a road trip in order to find yourself. You're searching for your identity. There's a study that was done recently on the psychological effects of method acting. Method acting, you know, is this very intense kind of acting where you sort of adopt the persona of the character that you're playing. Think about... Um, you know, Johnny Depp, uh, Captain Jack Sparrow. That's a great example of method acting. He just embodies the character. Or think about Heath Ledger playing the Joker in The Batman. You know, extreme form of method acting. And this study showed that a lot of times actors, when they're embracing a character in a story, they will often get lost in their character. And they'll sometimes struggle to remember who they are in reality. Even sometimes after the filming is over and the movie has been completed, some of these actors have a hard time dropping the character that they've been playing. And they struggle with losing a sense of their own identity because of the role that they've played. Knowing who you are really matters. It makes a difference in how you live. And one of the big questions that Genesis answers is this. What does it mean to be human? Who am I? And the Bible's answer to that question is as clear as it is simple. And I want you to write it down. This is the Bible's answer to that question. I am who God says I am. Can we say amen to that? Let's say that out loud together. I am who God says I am. I am what God says I am. In other words, I don't determine my, my own identity. God defines who, I, who and what I am. Listen, you are not what you do. Uh, you are not what has been done to you. You are not your greatest achievement. You are not your worst failure. I'm thankful for that, that I'm not my worst moment. That doesn't define me. I'm not what I say I am. 
I, I don't get to define that. I don't get to just to choose who I am. I am who God says I am. You are who God says you are. We sang it together. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. So what does the Bible say that we are? What does God say that we are in Scripture? Well, we see it in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. And this is what God says about who we are. As a human, the Bible says, I am an image bearer of God. Fundamentally, that is who I am. Fundamentally, if you're human, that is who you are. You are an image bearer of God. You bear the image of God what theologians call the imago Dei. Can we say that together? The imago Dei, the image of God. Look at God's word together with me, beginning in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, according to our likeness. And they will rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and the whole earth and the creatures that crawl on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Now let's just stop right there. That's what we're going to talk about together this morning. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does it mean to be an image bearer of God? This is who God says that we are fundamentally as humans. So what exactly does that mean? And scholars have honestly argued about the meaning of the Imago Dei for many years. Some people say that it's our spirituality, that the fact that we can relate uh, to God uh, that, that, that as spiritual beings, that that's what it means to be made in the Imago, uh, Imago Dei. Some people have said that it's our rationality, the ability to think or reason, that that's what makes us different. It's what makes us in the Imago Dei. Some people have said it's our relationality, the ability that we can relate with one another. That's what it means to be in the Imago Dei. Some people have even suggested, wrongly so, I think, that to be in the, made in the image of God is, your, is uh, because of your physicality. In fact, one person throughout church history said it's the fact that mankind stands upright, you know, that makes him in the image of God. I don't think that's right, by the way. What does it mean to be in the image of God? Well, I, I think actually we don't need to look any further than Genesis chapter 1. I think Genesis 1 actually gives us the meaning of what it means to, to bear the image of God. And I want to suggest five things this morning to you that are implications of the image. What does it mean to image God in this world? The first thing is this. I think it means that we are called to represent God to this world. Write down the word represent to bear the image of God is to represent God in this world. I want you to notice the word image and the word likeness in verse 26. You have two different words. Uh, then verse 27, you see image repeated twice. So three times in two verses, you have the word image, and then you have the word likeness. Image is an interesting word I'll get to in just a second. The word likeness means similarity. God says, I'm going to create mankind and humans are going to be similar to me in some, in some way. They're going to resemble me. They're going to be something like me. Uh, they're going to be in my likeness. And he says, they're going to be made in my image. The, the word image there means literally, this is what the, the Hebrew word selim means. It means shade, shade. God says, I'm going to make you to be my shade. What does that mean? I want you to think about shade for a second. We have these wonderful things we get to enjoy in East Texas called trees. They're delightful. After 10 years in West Texas, I have come to appreciate trees in a whole new way. Because not everybody gets to experience them. But here's the thing about a, a tree. It casts shade. 
right? If you have a tree, the sun comes against the tree, it casts a shadow onto the ground, it casts shade onto the ground. And when you look at that shade, it is, it is a, a, a shadow that points you to the reality of the fact that there's a tree there, right? It's a reflection, if you will, a reflection of the tree. Now, folks, that's exactly what it means to be made in the image of God. We are a reflection of God himself. When you look at humanity, there is something similar to humans as God. In other words, we are called to to be a representation of what God is like. We are called to resemble him. We are called to reflect him in the same way that shade or shadow points to the reality of the tree. When people look at us, they ought to see something about the God who made us. Does that make sense? In a sense, we are like mirrors that reflect the glory of God to the created wor- world. So my, my kids and I, we love to have Nerf wars in our house. And uh, the only problem is my kids have started to get uh, better than me at Nerf wars because they've learned how to utilize windows and mirrors in our house to see where I'm hiding to jump out and ambush them. So I like to hide behind doors and walls. And then when the kids come out, you know, I'll shoot them in the head with the Nerf gun. But now, (laughs) nothing passive aggressive about that at all. Um, But now they've learned there's a couple of mirrors in the house that if they look in the mirror, they can see me in the other room because they see a reflection of my image in the mirror. Now see, that's what we in a very real sense are called to do. Our lives are like, are supposed to be mirrors Images that reflect something about the God who made us. That's what it means to be in the likeness of God or to, be, to bear the image of God or to be like the shade or the shadow that points to the reality of God. You see, the, the truth is you can turn on the news and you can see what's happening in Israel right now and you can talk about it at lunch with, with your friend. And somebody who doesn't know God might become very, very worried about what they see on the news whether it's Israel or something else, right? There's all kinds of things that are disturbing, all kinds of things that we see that make it seem like things are out of control. The reason that you're there is to be a representative of God in that moment, to be a, a mirror that when they see your life, you're the one who's standing in, representing God's presence in that moment. So we're to be the ones, for instance, who remind each other that, yes, it seems chaotic. Yes, there, there are things that seem out of control, but God... God exists. Yes, there's cancer, but God. Yes, there's a crisis, but God, he's real. He exists. He's good. He's kind. He's compassionate. He cares. He matters. We're there as representatives of God. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is who you are. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20 that we are ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador is, right? An ambassador is a representative. If the president wants to make his, his presence known in a foreign country, he sends a representative. He sends an ambassador. And Paul says that that's who we are as followers of Christ. We are called to represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are called to image him, to, re- to resemble him, to reflect him, to represent him where he is not. What a great calling you and I have. This gives purpose to your Monday. It means it doesn't matter what you happen to go be doing tomorrow, if you're going to school or if you're going to work or, or if you are raising a family and you've got kids in the house, it means you have a purpose on Monday to represent God wherever you are, to reflect him to the created order. That's the first way that we image God. We represent him. The second way that we image God 
is by not just representing God to others, but, but secondly, we relate to one another. Write down the word relate, relate. Okay, notice again in verse 27. God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, notice this, male and female. Okay, now I'll just circle that or underline it, male and female, that part of what it means to bear the image of God is our engenderedness. Okay, the fact that we are created as male or female is somehow a reflection of God himself. That's not to say that God is male or female. He's, he's neither male nor female. God is a spirit. But something about the fact that there's not just one kind of us or just one of us, but that we're actually created, there's, there's multiple humans being created in Genesis 1. There's male and female is to reflect something about the character of God. What does it reflect? Well, I, th I think it simply reflects that we are designed for community, that God didn't create us to be alone. And this is actually a reflection of God's nature himself because God is eternally existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And our triune God, the three persons of the Godhead, exist in eternal community with one another. And that eternal community is reflected in the fact that we are created for community. We are created not to do life on our own, but actually to relate to one another in community, in fellowship, as a reflection of our triune God who exists perfectly within himself, the three persons of the Trinity perfectly fellowshipping with one another throughout all eternity. Now, I think there's something to be said here about gender. Let me just speak to that for a moment. God creates humans as both male and female. In Genesis chapter 2, he calls them man and woman. In Hebrew, it's ish and isha. Y'all want to say that together? Ish and isha, man and woman. Genesis 1, male and female. Here are two distinct genders with distinct roles but with equal value. Now that tells us something, first of all, about the uniqueness of gender, right? There's male and female. These two genders are different from one another. Men and women are not the same. Okay, is that basic enough of a fact that we can amen that? Now don't say it too quickly, you might get canceled, okay? Men and women are different, male and female. They are distinct, they are unique. We see something here also about the exclusiveness of gender. There, there's only two genders. He doesn't create male and female and something and something and something. Male and female, there's only two. This is God's design, right? Now, I've, I've lost track of how many genders you can choose from now on Facebook. I think it's over 40, and they just keep inventing them, right? Because we think that gender is a social construct, that we get to define who we are. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that gender is a creation of God. There are two genders. They are different and they are exclusive. They're not the same. We also see the importance of our gender. Notice that both male and female are needed in order to fully go image God. In other words, man alone cannot image God fully, nor can woman alone image God fully. You need male and female to bear the image. So both genders are equally important. But what does this teach us about how we reflect God? Well, I believe it is that God creates us for community, that we are created to relate 
to other humans, male and female, relating with one another to reflect the nature of the Trinity itself. Look at verse 26. Look at the language that's used here. Let us make man in what? Our image. You see how the Trinity here is referred to in the plural. Our triune God is one God in three persons. And the Trinity itself is the demonstration of perfect community. Listen, this is why when you come across a children's storybook Bible that says that the reason that God created people is because God is lonely, that's the reason that that is, there's a Greek word for it. You know what it is. Baloney. That's right. (laughs) Baloney. No, God was not lonely. He existed perfectly in eternal community within himself. God was perfectly satisfied and self-sufficient within the Godhead in eternity past. What, What that means is that God did not need anyone or anything in order to be happy in himself fully. God exists in perfect community and joy within himself. So why did God create us? Here's why. Because God is so big and God is so good and his love is so great that it must be shared. And while God doesn't need you to exist, he wants you to exist. Now, see, I think that that makes the love of God even more meaningful. If God only created us because he needed us to sort of complete himself, that's kind of a selfish thing. But if God is perfectly happy within his own person and he doesn't need us at all, and yet he still chooses to create us, then that's not selfish at all. It's generous. God is saying, I'm so good and my love is so big that I want everyone to be able to experience it. I'm gonna create people for the express purpose of knowing how good I am. I'm gonna create people for the express purpose of sharing my love with others. Not because I wanna keep it to myself, but because I want to be known, right? You know, the greatness of a thing finds its expression when, when it's shared. When you go and have the best burger of your life, you gotta tell about it, right? You gotta, you gotta, you gotta post, post up on, what is it now, guys? What's the newest one? What? Instaface? Is that a thing? Instaface. I think you're pulling my chain right there. Yeah, okay, thank you. TikTok, I think, I don't know. You got to post it, right? You got to say, hey, this is the greatest thing I've ever tasted. Come, come get a burger, you know, because it's great. And you got to share it. Listen, God is so big and he is so great that his love has to be spread. So he creates us to be in relationship with him to where, where we can actually enjoy his goodness. I love the way that Richard Sibbs put it. He says, if God had not a communicative spreading goodness, he would never have created the world. The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost were happy in themselves and enjoyed one another before the world was, apart from the fact that God delights to communicate and spread his goodness, there would never have been a creation or a redemption. Why does God redeem us? Why did God create us? Because he's so good, his goodness cannot be contained. He's so good, he wants to communicate that goodness. He wants to spread that love so that we can experience it. Think about how much God must love you. God doesn't need you to exist, but that's not bad news. He wants you to exist because he wants you to experience his goodness and his love. And just like God is not alone, he doesn't want you to be alone either. He created you for relationships where you can experience love in the context of community, just like our triune God. 
So part of what it means to bear God's image is to be in relationship with others. Now, we experience that in marriage, for sure. He creates male and female, man and woman. Chapter 2, you're going to see the first marriage. But that doesn't mean that you have to be married in order to relate to others rightly. In fact, 1 Corinthians 7 tells us that God gives some people the gift of singleness. And singleness is a good gift to be stewarded well for God's glory. And so if God's called you to be single, then steward that. Be single for God's glory. You don't have to be married in order to image God. But if you are married... One of the ways that you bear God's image well is by being faithful in that covenant relationship to love a spouse like Jesus loves the church. And that's countercultural. In our day and time where marriage is being undermined in all kinds of ways, marriage is a good gift according to scripture. It's one of the ways that we can bear God's image together. We undermine marriage when we minimize its importance through things like shack up culture, We undermine marriage when we redefine its meaning through things like gay marriage. We undermine marriage when we undervalue its sanctity through things like adultery or divorce. If you want to know how to image God well, if God has called you to be married, then seek to demonstrate the love of Christ faithfully first in your marriage. Amen? But then beyond that, We also relate to one another in Christian community. And so whether you're married or you're single, you are not designed to do life alone. It's why God gives us the church. Whether you're married or you're single, you're not meant to be by yourself. You need to be in community with others. Let's say this out loud. I need other people. people. Do you believe that? So easy to get isolated, isn't it? To be lonely, to withdraw, to lose ourselves in a screen. You were created by God to relate to others. It's part of how you bear the image of God. And this community that God has designed for his people to enjoy relationship is called the church. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 22. See it up here on the screen. It says, in him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. The spirit of God wants to dwell in a people And that's who we are being built together to be the people of God where God makes his spirit known. So we bear his image well when we represent him. Number two, when we relate with one another, when we connect in meaningful relationships with others. Here's number three. We we bear the image of God well when we reproduce. Okay, when we reproduce. Look down at verse 28. God blessed them and God said to them, what does it say there? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Okay, he says it three different ways. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. What is he talking about there? He's talking about making babies. Okay, it's okay to laugh at that. That's what he's talking about. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. He creates Adam and Eve of his image, and then he says, have children. That's part of what it looks like to bear the image of God. He means that literally. He's literally saying, have babies, multiply yourself and send those babies out to fill the earth. Now you say, how does that reflect God? Well, because God is the creator of life. God creates life. If we're going to image him well, we are going to reproduce life. We are going to create life as well. Listen to what Alan Ross said. He said, if humans are to imitate God, then creating life is a basic part of that task. Part of how we image God, how we reflect what he is like, God creates Life, we recreate life. We reproduce life. Now, 
There's some historical background here that I think makes this really meaningful to us. In the ancient world, if you were a king, okay, I want you just to imagine for a second that you were going to be, that you were a king, okay, or I'll, I'll just use me as an example. If I was king of Texas, which is a delightful thought, <laughs> king of Texas, how would you, if you were king of Texas or queen of Texas, how would you mark out the boundaries of your kingdom? How would you let everybody know where your kingdom goes? Well, in the ancient world, the way that kings would mark out the boundaries of their kingdom is by setting up images or statues of themselves at the extent of the boundary of their kingdom. So for those of you who are nerds in the house today, Lord of the Rings, you can see this in the movie. When, when the little men with hairy feet, what are they called? Hobbits. hobbits. Just making sure you're paying attention. All right. When the hobbits, you know, move from one kingdom to the next, at the boundary marker of the kingdom, you'll see old statues of the ancient kings. These are images of the king that mark out the extent of the king's reign. Now, if that's the background to Genesis chapter one, if God is the creator and the sustainer and the ruler of all things, and God creates humans to bear his image, and he's telling them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Listen, images marked out the extent of the reign of the king. And so when God creates humans as his image bears and commands them to fill the earth, what is he saying? He's saying, I want you to send your kids out literally to mark out my reign to the four corners of the earth because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so God says to Adam, make lots of babies, raise them up for God's glory, send them to the four corners of the earth to mark out my reign over the nations. By the way, this gives great meaning if you're a parent today. It gives great meaning and significance to the job you are called to do in raising your kids. You're not just raising your kids to graduate and go have a good GPA at college and go get a good, good job and work until they die. Okay, you're doing something much more meaningful, much more eternal. You're called, you're gifted. Children are a gift. It's an entrusted stewardship to you. You are, are gifted children as a stewardship to raise them to know and love the Lord. Paul says, raising them in the nurture of the Lord. And those kids are not ultimately yours or, or mine. I have four of them, but they're not ultimately my kids. They are for him. They're God's. And my job as a parent is to pour my life into them for the time that they are with me and then launch them into the world to mark out the kingdom of Jesus to the ends of the earth. That's why Psalm 127 says that children are a blessing. They are a gift from the Lord. They are like uh, arrows in the hands of a warrior. Think about it. Meant to be launched out and sent out into the world. That's what we're called to do as parents, to, to raise our children to love the Lord and then launch them out to mark out the boundaries of King Jesus, to make a difference for the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. And by the way, there's no more rebellious thing to do in our day and time than that. To get married, to have babies, to raise them for God's glory, and then to launch them out to make a difference for the kingdom of Jesus. Amen? That's our calling, to reproduce. Now, if you don't have children, this is still your calling. And it can be your calling in a couple of different ways. First of all, Raising children, raising godly children, it's, it's more than the parent's job. It is the parent's job. The parents are the primary faith influencers in their kid's life. But it's also the church's job. This is something we do together. I'm thankful for you other adults in this room and other believers in this room who are coming alongside my family and helping raise my kids. I'm grateful for that because they need more than just the voice of their pastor dad. 
They need Will's voice. They need Eric and Catherine's voice. They need other voices in their life. And we're called to spiritually reproduce ourselves. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to be spiritually fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with disciples. Isn't this what Jesus called us to do in Acts 1.8? To be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. To make disciples in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 of all nations to be spiritually reproductive, to reproduce ourselves, to make and multiply disciples and send them to fill the earth. We're not meant to be sponges as Christians. We're meant to be sprinklers. We're not just to soak and retain and it's all about us. It's about how do we become conduits of the grace of God? If you put money into a bank, you don't want that bank to take the money that you've entrusted to them put it in a mayonnaise jar and bury it in the backyard. What do you want them to do with your money? Invest, multiply it, right? Now the Lord has entrusted certain things to you. The fact that you have a Bible in your hand is a stewardship. The fact that you're part of a great church family like Moberly is a stewardship. The fact that you've been poured into by others is a stewardship, but the Lord has entrusted that to you for you to be spiritually fruitful and multiply and fill the earth for the glory of his name. And that's part of how we bear his image well. All right, number next. Four, thank you. We are called to represent, we are called to relate, we are called to reproduce, literally and figuratively. We are called, as we bear God's image, to rule, to rule, to rule over this world that God has made. God is the creator, the sustainer, and the ruler of everyone and everything. He is king over the earth. And if we are to reflect his image, part of how we reflect the image of God is by taking up the task of ruling over the things he has made. Now you say, is that a biblical idea? Yes, look in the text. Look what it says in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will, what does it say there? Rule. The fish of the sea, all the fishermen in the house said, amen, rule those fish. And the birds of the sky, any bird hunters in the house today? Anybody? Nobody? Dove, quail, pheasant? All right. The livestock, any ranchers? Two, raise their hand. Okay, that's great. All right. And all the, all the, uh, all the creatures uh, of the earth, Okay, that would include all hunters. So any hunter in the house, can you say amen? amen? All right, that was very dull and unenthusiastic. Come on, y'all. Rule over. And by the way, notice the phrase, the whole earth. Like it's very expansive in case anything was left out. We're called to rule over the whole earth. Look down at verse 28. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Some of you have a translation that says, have dominion over it. Rule. There it is again, the fish, the birds, every creature that crawls <clears throat> on the earth. So we are called as image bearers to rule and subdue, to take possession and have dominion over the earth. God created us, in other words, not just to live in the earth, but to steward and rule over the earth. Richard, thank you. Richard Middleton 
says, the imago Dei designates the royal office or calling of human beings as God's representatives and agents in the world, granted authorized power to share in God's rule or administration of the earth's resources and creatures. In other words, we are to reign over creation as vice regents, if you will, under the headship of King Jesus. He rules as king and he entrusts the stewardship of ruling over the earth to us as humans. That means no matter who you are, you have an important work to do. You have an important job to do. You may not think that you're that important, but do you realize that God created you to rule over the earth? By the way, one day, that is what you will, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's what you're gonna do for eternity. You will reign with Christ. Listen to what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. He says, this saying is trustworthy for if we died with him, we will also live with him. And if we endure, let's say this together, we will also reign with him. In other words, you can think about eternity, not just as a kind of eternal Sabbath rest. You can also think about eternity as an eternal reign with Christ. You actually reign over all things as a co-heir with Christ. That, boy, what good news is that to those in the world who are marginalized, to those who are poor or have little, or those who feel unimportant, to know that you will one day reign over all things with the creator of the universe. But as image bearers, we get to rehearse that now. Because in Genesis 1, we are told to rule, to subdue, to have <clears throat> dominion, to take possession, to master the earth. That means that whatever patch of earth the Lord has entrusted to your stewardship, you are called to rule well over it. You are called to steward that well. You are called to subdue and take possession and exercise dominion and master whether it's in your home, whether it's at work, whether it's in the church, whether it's in the world in general. <clears throat> Folks, I think that that fills our calling as humans with great meaning. It means that no matter what your profession is, there is significance in your work and activity as a means of exercising dominion over creation. This paragraph has often been called the cultural mandate or the cultural commission because it means that there's a commission or a calling, if you will, to create and to rule and to explore and to possess the earth in every field of human endeavor. In other words, there is a way to write a song for the glory of God because you are ruling well over a particular part of creation. There, there is a way to paint a picture for the glory of God. There's a way to, to film a movie for the glory of God. In every achievement and advance of mankind, there is evidence of the image of God and man. And so we, we bear his image well when we master our craft, whatever craft that might be. When we pursue the arts or we pursue politics or we pursue business or we pursue law or we pursue medicine or we pursue the family, if we do this for his glory, then we are actually ruling well over the patch of earth that he has entrusted to our care. That means every Everything you do matters. Everything you do has eternal significance if it's done for God's glory. What did Paul say? 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. I wish I was taught that when I was y'all's age. Because I was taught at your age uh, that if you wanted to be serious about your walk with Christ, that there was basically one way to express that. 
and that was to go to Bible college, go to seminary, go become a pastor or a missionary or a Christian worker of some, some sort. I wish somebody would have told me that there is a way to go be an attorney and practice law for God's glory, and you can be serious about your walk with Christ in the practice of medicine. I wish somebody would have told me that you can go into the world of the arts and you can master that craft for the glory of God. I wish somebody would have told me you can build a business for God's glory and you can be just as serious about your walk with Christ as a business person as a pastor is about his walk with Christ. Now, I love being a pastor. Don't hear me wrong. I love what I do. But I want you to know that whatever you are doing, if it's done for the glory of God, if you are mastering that craft and you are possessing and subduing and exercising dominion and ruling well over that thing, it can be done to the glory of God for the delight of God. Amen? So if you're a teacher, you go teach that mathematics class as well as you can for God's glory. If you're a builder, you build that house for God's glory. If you're creating a business, you do that for God's glory. If you're a, an attorney and you're prosecuting a case or defending a client, you do that well for God's glory. It's part of how you bear his image well. Listen to what Martin Luther said. He said, all of our work in the field, in the garden, in the city, in the home, in struggle, in government, to what does it all amount before God except child's play by means of which God is pleased to give his gifts in the field, at home, and everywhere. Listen to this. These are the masks of our Lord God, behind which he wants to be hidden and to do all things. The works of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they may be, do not differ in one whit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household tasks. So whatever you do, do it for God's glory you're bearing the image well by ruling faithfully over your patch of earth. Amen? Here's the fifth and final implication of the Imago Dei, and that's the word respect, respect. What does it mean to bear God's image well? If we're created in the image of God, then humans have inherent worth and dignity. Humans are God's special creation. Think about that. You are God's special creation. The person to your left and right, they are God's special creation. Do you realize that nothing else in Genesis 1 is given the title of bearing the image of God, not the environment? It doesn't bear the image of God, okay? The animals don't bear the image of God. It's only humans. That means that humans are special. Uh, the psalmist expresses this in Psalm 8. He says, uh, when I consider the work of your hands the stars and the moon which you've put in place. What is a human being that you remember him or a son of man that you look after him? That's a natural question. If you go to the top of a mountain, you look at a starry sky, it's like, man, it's so big. I feel so small. I'm not that important. But listen to what the psalmist says. You made him, that is mankind, you made him a little less than God and crowned him with what? Glory and honor. Listen to this next little bit. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. That's a reiteration of Genesis chapter one. You see, what he's saying is because God has imaged you, you're bearing his image, then you matter. You are special. The people around you are special, which means that we should treat each other with respect. 
as image bearers of God. By the way, this is a very different picture that we get than some of the other creation stories in the ancient world. For instance, in an Akkadian creation myth called Atrahasis, the gods created humans to be slaves. Basically, you have junior gods, like intern gods, and they were given the jobs of the senior gods who didn't want to do the work. It's like senior management gods would give their work to the intern gods. Intern gods got tired of doing it, and so they said, hey, let's make humans. They can have our work. And in the Atrahasis, this is what they said. This is a quote. Let him, man, bear the yoke. Let man carry the load of the gods. So in the ancient world, that's why we were here, created by the gods to basically do their work for them. How about in the Enuma Elish? You have the god Marduk, which is a great name for a dog, if you have a dog. Marduk. Marduk decides to create humans, and this is what he says. I shall create humankind. They shall bear the gods' burdens that the gods may rest. The work of the gods will be imposed on him, and so they shall be at leisure. What a contrast, right? Those are the creation stories floating around in the ancient world uh, in the, the pagan nations surrounding the Israelites. What a contrast with Jesus, who said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, in Genesis 1, we are told that we are not made to bear the burden of the gods. We are made to bear the image of of, of the one true God. Genesis 1 shows us, the, the Babylonians, they would say, no, you're, you're created to be a slave. Genesis 1 shows us our God created us so that we could become sons. We're, we're special in God's mind. And so that means that we should treat one another with respect. It's why we care about babies in the womb. It's why we care about the aged It's why we care about those with special needs. It's why we care about what's happening in Israel right now or what's happening in Ukraine right now because we look at each other and we say, you're special, you're made in God's image, which means you deserve respect. As we close this morning, let me just ask you this question. How did Adam and Eve do with this commission? How'd they do with this? Not well, right? God creates them and he says, you're going to bear my image. You're going to represent me. They don't represent him very well, do they? You're going to relate with one another faithfully. They don't relate with one another faithfully. You're going to rule. They don't rule well. Now, the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They didn't rule well. (laughs) They didn't represent him well. They rebelled. And because of their rebellion, the image of God that was good became fractured. And so you and I, we bear the image by virtue of being human, but the reality is that image is broken because of sin. And that's bad news. But there is good news, and that is that God loves us. And so he sent his own son, who the Bible says is the image of the invisible God to redeem and restore us. 
through his work on the cross, which paid the penalty for our rebellion, and his work in the resurrection, which gives us new life. And because of what Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, because of what he has done, that image that was fractured can be restored in Christ. It can be remade. And now, if you know Jesus, you can be remade. The, the Bible says you can be conformed into the image of God's Son. You can be transformed into the image of Christ. John Henry Newman put it this way. He says, O loving wisdom of our God, when all was sin and shame, a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. I'm thankful for our second Adam who perfectly imaged the Father. And in him, the image can be restored in us. Amen? If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we want you to know him today so that you can have that image restored in him. There will be people here at the front here in just a moment when I pray. Pastors out in the back, we'd love to talk with you about how you can know Christ, how you can be conformed into the image of God's Son so that you can image God faithfully in the way that he's called you to do. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for your word that instructs and teaches us. We are thankful for your son who redeems and restores us. We pray that through the power of your spirit, we might image you rightly in this world, all for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.